I took the title of today's sermon, Born for This, from the Christmas carol, Good Christian Men Rejoice. If you remember that, that includes the refrain at one point, I think it's the, actually the, the second verse, Christ was born for this. Christ was born for this. Now, born for this is not only a phrase that we hear uh, in A Christmas Carol, Good Christian Men Rejoice, but it's something that we also sometimes hear in one form or another expressed in uh, our culture, in our world. Uh, it often is used to give a sense that this particular person has a destiny that is manifest to those who are watching them. Oftentimes we look at a person who is in a perhaps a particular vocation and, and you look at them, let's say they're an athlete or perhaps an actor or a doctor or uh, a lawyer or something and someone might say of that person, they were born for this. This is what they were born to do. They seem to fit exactly into this slot. And when we think about that, when we think about the Bible, we see this kind of idea, this idea of being born in a particular way for a particular purpose, kind of pop up at various times throughout the history of God's people. God, when he does this, makes his sovereign purposes particularly clear with respect to a particular child and a mission that has often been entrusted to that child. And the mission, when it is given to the child in, in, in stories like this one, is usually or oftentimes conveyed by God, by the angel of the Lord, by an angel to uh, the mother and or the father of the child so that they know what the particular mission is. And many times when you think about this and you think about other stories that are similar to it, the context for this that God sets up is a context of barrenness, wherein the woman, for whatever reason, is not able to have children on her own. And, and in those circumstances, God is using the barrenness to focus our attention and just to kind of grab us and say, pay attention, I am at work. I am at work doing something here that you otherwise, on the human scale of things and the normal way that things would work, otherwise you might miss it. And I'm, I'm working in this particular situation of barrenness to show you that I, in particular, am doing something. And so this passage today that we've read, I'm sure it did this for, for you, it does this for me when I read it. It reminds us of similar episodes that exist throughout Scripture. It reminds us a little bit of, and I'll just give the names of the women uh, here, but it reminds us of Eve, of Sarah, of Rebecca, of Hannah, of Elizabeth, of Mary. All of these stories kind of sound similar in a variety of ways. They are exceptional situations, they are exceptional people, and particularly unique people come out of these situations where God is working in this special and peculiar way. Clearly, not all of us 
are called at birth to be Samson or Samuel or John the Baptist uh, or a, a savior of some sort. But these exceptional situations here, while, while they do and they should and they are intended to focus our attention on what God is doing in this circumstance that's being described here, they also allow us to take an appropriate look at ordinary situations. To see that in reality, not only is God's hand at work when we've got these situations like this one that's described for us in this passage, but God is likewise at work in ordinary situations. And, and, and the basic message that comes through in scripture is to say, Children are a gift of the Lord. Children, which is all of us at one point or another, children are a gift of the Lord, each being fearfully and wonderfully made, wrapped in hope and fashioned by God for places, for roles, for stations, for missions within this world. God's sovereignty and God's sovereign purposes were clearly at work in the conception, in the birth, in the calling, in the life of Samson. And all of those things are similarly at work in our lives as well. Maybe not in this extraordinary way, but each of those things is going on in our lives as well. So here's, this is a simple way to look at this text for us today. And I felt like where we've been in Judges, we could benefit from a little bit of simplicity. Uh, and so I want us to look at God's sovereignty in conception, God's sovereignty in care, in calling, and in consecration today. And so we'll begin where we ought to begin which is with the conception that takes place here, or perhaps I should say we should begin with the barrenness that is highlighted for us in this passage because she is barren and then when the angel comes to her, the angel declares once again, you are barren to help us to see that something significant is taking place here. Uh, last week we had the tragic story of Jephthah and his daughter. And one of the things that I talked about there at the end is that with her sacrifice, essentially Jephthah and his daughter, at least humanly speaking, lose their future, lose what is or what could be in front of them. No children will come forth from this child of Jephthah. And similarly here in this passage, Manoah and his wife also apparently have no future, no progeny, no prospect of having children. And we got to think a little bit in terms of the ancient world here and how they thought of children and how they thought of continuance of their lives through their children, which is true in the ancient world. It's also kind of true for us as well uh, when we stop and take time to think about it. So these appear to be a futureless couple and they are illustrative also of the state of Israel at this time. Israel likewise appears to be futureless. The downward spiral in Judges has shown us 
that it seems that no matter how God continues to raise up a deliverer for the people, they in fact fall back into this same pattern where they go back into gross sin and God sends one of these nations to come against them and to punish them for those sins. This time we see that it is the Philistines who have been raised up for this. And, and the unique thing that we don't see in this passage is Israel doesn't even cry out. In, in the past, we've come to expect that when one of these nations is oppressing the people of God, the people of God cry out. Now, we've talked about, is it a genuine cry of repentance or is it just get me out of this situation? Regardless of that for a moment, they cry out, they groan, they do something. And that gets the attention of God's mercy. But here, we're at such a state where the people have apparently become used to living under the oppression of the nations who, who are around them. They don't even take time to cry out. And one of the things that that shows us, it shows us this for Israel, but it shows us this then in the case of Manoah and his wife, that all of the gracious initiative, all of the beginning of any resolution of any hope that we see in this passage, it all starts with God. It doesn't start with the people crying out. It doesn't start with Manoah and his wife. It is all the initiative of God. He is the father who is most concerned with his children. He is the one who is most concerned with the future of his people. Even if the people have, by their actions, mortgaged that future, set it aside, God says, no, I am concerned. I am concerned with the children, with those who will come after you. And so the angel appears to the woman and says, you shall conceive and bear a son. God, in effect, says, in light of her barrenness, I am going to create something out of nothing. Where there is no hope, where there is no fruitfulness, in a dry and thirsty land, I am going to bring forth fruit. Samson was planned by God. Samson was made in secret. He was unseen by human eyes. This plan was unknown to anybody except for God. It was not hid from God. The verse on the front of your bulletin to reflect on it just a little bit. My frame was not hidden from you. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Uh, blood tests show and confirm pregnancy pretty early. That's a relatively recent phenomenon. Ultrasounds and 3D ultrasounds show us things that before that were never seen by human eyes. Things that we can wonder at, ways that we can see children being at that point fearfully and wonderfully made. These are things that used to be hidden. They were never hidden from God. The way a child was forming in a mother's womb was never hidden from God. Conception. Conception is of the Lord. 
as much as birth is of the Lord. And that is true. Whether the circumstances are ordinary, in other words, whether everything is fine physically, and it is true if the circumstances are extraordinary as well. Conception is of the Lord. The angel then continues to speak to her, not only of the coming birth and of the conception, but then of the care of this child. Samson has, of course, a unique calling, and we'll get into his calling in just a moment. But at this stage, what I want us to see is that the care that he ought to have corresponds to this unique calling that he has. She will have to take care of herself during this pregnancy. Okay, verse 4 says to the woman, therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. Now, when we read that with modern ears, we might hear, well, that's good advice. That's good uh, prenatal care, uh, not to drink when you might be pregnant, but that's really not the essence of the issue here. It's really not as much about health as about the separation, the care that she needs to take. But I'll tell you one thing it is. It is a confirmation of personhood. In other words, he is going to need to be cared for in a particular way after his birth. But because of the continuity of personhood after the birth and before the birth, the care that applies here, don't let him drink anything, also applies here as well. Samson is a person, and from the womb, he's dedicated to the Lord, and therefore she has to care for him in this unique and particular way. Manoah and his wife have to care for him carefully, and in particular, of course, what that relates to is raise this child as, and we have this here, a Nazarite. Now, that's not familiar to us, raise him as a Nazarite. I'm not going to even turn to it today. When you would like to, if you would, uh, turn to Numbers chapter 6, and you can read about what it means to be a Nazarite and what are the vows concerning being a Nazarite. But clearly, as it's articulated here or in Numbers 6, what you need to be is unique in the way that you take care of this particular person because he is separated, separated for a particular mission that God has given to them. Now, you and I are not uh, raising Nazarites, and we are not raising judges, at least judges in the sense of the term that is here. But I want to allow this extraordinary care, the way you should take care of a child who's a Nazarite, to point to the ordinary care that we are called to do as well. Note in this passage that God's sovereignty is all over it. Okay, God's sovereignty is over the conception and the birth of Samson. God's sovereignty is over the life of Samson and the calling that he has, the mission that he has. But God's sovereignty does not therefore imply that the parents don't have a role to play. They actually have a very important and a very specific role that they have to play in nurturing this child, in caring for this child in the way that God has instructed them to do it. 
responsibility exists for the parents even within the scope of the sovereignty of God. You care for the child. That is true for Manoah and his wife and for Samson, and it is true for us as well. At the baptism of our children, we parents took a vow related to how we are going to care for our children. We made a commitment about it. Here was the question, by the way. Do you promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before your child a godly example, that you will pray with and for them, that you will teach them the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. God is sovereign in the conception of all of the children who are either out here right now, in a womb out here right now, or in the nursery in the back, God is sovereign over all of that. God is sovereign in what will take place in their lives. And he calls us to care. He calls us to the nurture and the admonition of these children whom he has given. In other words, we have a particular responsibility to bring up our children in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Now, Samson had a particular calling. He had a particular way that he should go. And this is our, the idea here is God is sovereign in the calling that belongs to him. It was assigned to him by the angel before he was born. In verse 4, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. It is important for us to note that the idea here is hopeful, but not really, really hopeful. He shall begin to save Israel from, from the hand of the Philistines. It's not to say he will finish saving Israel from the hand of these guys, but he will begin it. But he's a child who is born with a mission. A child will be born who has a mission to accomplish the deliverance of his people. And that's a story, that sentence that I just said, that is a story that com you know, completely comes out of this passage, this episode about Samson, but of course it is a story that is at the core of our faith, at the core of our entire Bible is that sentence and that story of a child who will come to deliver his people. You can take a direct line and you can take it all the way back from Genesis and not, not just Sarah, but you can take it back to Eve and you can draw it all the way through Jesus Christ and hear this same type of statement being made. A child who is born and through the child who is born, God will accomplish a deliverance. The unique thing about Jesus is that he is able to say, with his final breath on the cross, it is finished. Samson began to deliver God's people. Jesus finished the delivery. Now, to be theologically precise here, uh, Jesus is the author and finisher of our salvation, the Alpha and the Omega, but he is able to accomplish the deliverance of his people. Now, all of our stories 
bind together in that story, that story about Jesus. Samson fits into the story of Jesus in a particular way, a child to be born who will deliver his people. But David kind of expands that again in the the verses on the front of your bulletin by saying of his own life, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. True of Samson, true of David, true of you. Your days were known, your days were written. Samson was born for that. Now how about this question? What were you born for? For what were you born? What is the mission that God has entrusted to you? Humans from creation were created with and born with purpose. What were you born to do? Are you seeking to discover what you were born to do? Are you seeking to live according to what you were born to do? Do you believe that other people have a purpose in God's kingdom, but you don't? You just do whatever you want to do? What were you born to do? Now, let me be careful about something here. I I want to be able to use this and and appreciate it, but of course we want to make a distinction. Samson's calling was unique. It was specific. It was clear. It was similar uh, although, of course, at a different time of life to the Apostle Paul, right? So the Apostle Paul gets a clear message from God on the road, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That's not true for the vast majority of humanity. Most of us don't have that written about us. Most of us are called to strive after our mission in a slightly different way. We discover our purposes Uh, more organically, more through a life of faith lived, through ordinary means, through opportunities and education that is set before us, through doors that are open and or closed as we try to look for how, what's our mission, what should we be doing, through prayer, through counsel, through talking to people, saying, what do you think I'm fitted for? What do you think I'm suited for? What do you think my gifts are? in the church, and how should I be using them through trial and error? Now, that's normal. That's okay. So please don't overhear what I'm saying here. You've got a mission. You've got a purpose. You were created for a purpose, not written romantically in the same way that Samson's is, but through trial and error and through seeking by faith after serving God to find it. The final sovereignty that I wanted to point out is here consecration. The consecration that is involved in our passage before us today is seen in the first hand on in the in the importance of the Nazarite vow which is this Nazarite vow is a separation under the Lord. It's actually a little bit different in number six. You volunteer to take this vow. But the consecration, the setting apart of Samson for this work is in that vow and in this lifestyle to which God has called him and in which Manoah and his wife were raised him. The consecration that is here 
is also in the sacrifice and in the worship offered by Manoah and his wife. And as an aside, uh, I, I get a little tired through the sermon of saying Manoah and his wife. I would like to know the name of Samson's mom so that I could say Manoah and uh, whatever her name actually was. It would trouble me that I didn't know her name, that we don't know her name. It would trouble me, except for the fact that there's another unknown name in the story. The other unknown name in the story, of course, is the angel of the Lord. And Manoah wants to know what your name is so that at the appropriate time we can honor you, maybe we'll name the child after you, or at least give you special recognition. And of course the response is, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. The woman here, the wife, is it you who came to this woman? Not even, not even is it you who came to my wife? Is it you who came to this woman? The beauty of Manoah's wife of Samson's mom in this story is the humility that exists in that we don't even know her name. She is the one who is compared to the angel of the Lord whose name Manoah doesn't know. That is the beauty of it. And she is the one who exercises in the passage wisdom, whereas Manoah seems to be impulsive and a little clueless throughout the passage. So when he finally realizes that it's the angel of the Lord, he responds in a way that you go, hey, that's a holy way to respond. We're about to die because we've seen God. Now, we see other people respond in that way, and that seems like a normal thing to do. But she's the one who has the wisdom to say, wait a minute, in this case, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense with all of the things. He's accepted the offering. We've got this mission. We've got this promise. That doesn't make sense. She is the one who, even though unnamed, is presented in a beautiful way. But to back to the, the consecration here, the consecration in vow and in worship is unique in this situation. We're not all called to do exactly what was done here in consecrating our children or consecrating ourselves. But let me take it once again back to us and to the baptismal vows in which we ask this question. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God? Okay, so you didn't take a Nazarite vow on behalf of your child, correct. But what you did is, I bet, you said, we do, when I or someone else asked you that question. You took your child that God had given to you and you gave it back to God. You gave him or you gave her back to God and said, we Dedicate this child to the Lord. We consecrate ourselves unto God in worship. We offer ourselves up. We offer our children to the Lord. And we offer ourselves in worship as living sacrifices. We offer ourselves unto the Lord. Samson and his family had a unique place. He was born for this and the things that we'll see in weeks to come. Conceived, cared for, called, consecrated in the sovereignty of God, and that was true for Jesus. That was true for our Savior as well. He was born to save, and to save to the uttermost. 
and Jesus, that story becomes true for us as well. The sovereignty of God rests on your lives as well and on your children's and on your children's children. Conceived by God. Cared for under the sovereignty of God. Called out and consecrated unto God. In the eternal counsels of God, you were conceived. And then you were born again to a living hope. In your families and in the church, you are cared for. You're raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You are called to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and you are consecrated in baptism and in worship unto the Lord. You were born, and you were born again to serve the Lord, to love the Lord, to love the people of the Lord. Don't let yourself get fooled out of that. Don't think of yourself lightly. You were born for this. You were born to worship God. You were born to take these gifts that he has given to you and serve other people. You were born for it. Don't forget it under the sovereignty of God. Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember these things because in life we're tempted sometimes to lose our own sense of purpose, our own sense of conviction, our sense that you're with us and you could possibly use us. We pray that whether the role that you have for us is an incredibly small role, or whether it's something grand and significant, we pray that you would help us to seek it out and to walk in a way that would be pleasing to you and consistent with the way that you formed us and help us to take steps to figure out what that is in small things or in large things. Help us to take courage to take up a mission for you and maybe just come to a cleaning day and work knowing that we've been called to do this. Help us, Lord, to live in light of that, to live purposefully, to live joyfully in light of the fact that you've placed us here. Jesus, this is all founded upon you. We're united to you, to your purposes. We pray that you would help us to rest and to grow in them. And in your name we pray. Amen.